Thank you, Brother Banu, for that gracious introduction. Um, again, my name is, is Tone Bellamy. I'm glad to be here with you all today. Um, it's um, really a humbling opportunity to ever have the opportunity to share God's word um, with his people. And so um, I, I just want to say a few things about uh, Ajay, Banu, and Sibby. Um, those guys, I mean, they just ooze with the gospel, right? Like, y'all know them already, and you guys been walking with them for a while, but I really just appreciate the opportunity to um, be a part in their midst when we were in the mentor group, and um, I appreciate the privilege, privilege of coming here today and share God's word with you. So Banu preached, I mean, uh, read a passage for us, but I'm only going to focus on one verse today, and that's Luke. If you got your Bibles, if you can turn to Luke 23, 34. That's where we're going we're gonna to camp out there today. If you got it, say amen. If you ain't got it, say hold on. It's all right. We'll wait for you. All right? So I'll read. It says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Even in the midst of the greatest trial our Lord would ever face, our Lord here is unwaveringly committed to forgiveness. Our Lord, who has the authority to summon tens of thousands of angels to come to his rescue and destroy his persecutors, instead chooses to pray a ten-word intercessory prayer for his enemies. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Lord Jesus' inclination and readiness to forgive can be seen in that as the iron from the nails pierced through his body, his very first cry was, Father, forgive them. Notice his words were not a me first response, but a others first response. Though undoubtedly he was in agonizing pain, utterly exhausted and distressed, this prayer reveals that Christ was firstly concerned with his father's will to pardon his persecutors, even over the very pain he was suffering at their hands. Christ is fully aware here of his persecutor's guilt and his own innocence, yet he pleads for mercy for those who are presently murdering him. He cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Our Lord Jesus is here, a great Savior, praying a great prayer for great sinners. And my appeal to you today is that this prayer is that of ironic intercession of the righteous Son of God on behalf of his ruthless enemies. Ironic intercession of the righteous Son of God on behalf of his ruthless enemies. So we see the irony in this text first. The popular belief in this particular passage was that Christ was indeed guilty of sin and consequently worthy of death by crucifixion. In fact, it was only 14 verses back where Christ was tried up on trumped up charges and sentenced to death by a crowd of people who, according to Luke 2, 23, 21, kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. Even after Pilate, a man working a position with a chief qualification for the job is to have an ability to make good judgments, says, I have found in him no guilt deserving of death. They still insist with urgency, with loud cries that he be crucified, crucified, crucified. In other words, the scene of this passage, at least from the immediate audience's perspective, is that Christ is indeed a great sinner deserving of this great judgment. But the irony is that our Lord here is being judged as a sinner when he himself has never sinned. The point I'm making is that Christ doesn't pray a pardon here for himself because contrary to the immediate audience's belief, he is not the one in need of pardon. 
He is, in the words of John the Baptist, the spotless, singular Lamb of God. He's the Lamb of God. The book of Isaiah says that there was no deceit found in his mouth. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, God made Christ who knew no sin to become sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Therefore, the great irony of this prayer in light of the scene here is that Christ is the sinless and innocent son of God. As the sinless and innocent son of God is here being judged in a place of guilty and ruthless sinners. This was not his cross. This was not his judgment. Yet he prays for the father to forgive them because he understands that it is his persecutors who are in desperate need of the pardon that only his father can provide. This prayer is that of ironic intercession of the righteous son of God on behalf of ruthless enemies. So we see clearly how this prayer is one of great irony, but this prayer is also one of great intercession. Christ is here fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah in Isaiah 53, chapter, verse 12, where it states that the suffering servant would make intercession for the transgressors. This prayer of Father, forgive them, is therefore Christ requesting of the Father to relent his wrath for the ruthless and redirect it to him, the righteous. Crisis here is functioning as a substitute. And to just give an illustration of what it means to be a substitute, you know, when I was in school, we had substitute teachers, right? And a substitute teacher would assume the role and responsibility of the regular teacher in the absence of the regular teacher. Uh-oh, got a problem here. Uh, I'm a little too excited out here. <laughs> Um, let me fix that real quick. I knew that was going to happen. Pray for me. Anyway, Christ is serving as our substitute here, right? 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 He is on the cross taking the place of our sin so that we who deserve God's punishment, it can be diverted from us and placed on him. He's acting as a substitute here. In other words, Christ is here functioning, to give another illustration, as an eternal attorney performing his original version of what we call a cross-examination. As the great attorney, he, to ever, as the greatest attorney to ever live, he steps into the courtroom, i.e. the cross, and presents himself as the case-closing evidence. It's as if he's saying, Father, these men are utterly guilty on all charges and deserving of your eternal judgment. But see here, Father, my pierced body for their transgressions. See here, my, me being wounded for their iniquities. See here, me being chastised as I take their place, um, take their place of those who place their faith in me and experience and allow them to experience your peace, though they are utterly deserving of your punishment. See here, Father, see here. Our Lord here in this great intercessory prayer is essentially asking the Father to not give his murderers, the guilty verdict they deserve, but rather deem them innocent on the account of his righteousness and his righteousness alone. This prayer is that a great ironic intercession of the righteous son of God on behalf of his ruthless enemies. When Christ prayed, Father, forgive them, brothers and sisters. It was not just for the Jews who cried, crucify, crucify. And it was not just for the Roman guards who executed the actual murder. This prayer is for all sinners. This prayer is for me as a sinner. This prayer is for you as a sinner. This prayer is for us as sinners. We all have turned from God and gone our own way. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. Yet because of Christ's intercession for us, though we are utterly guilty, 
in the eyes of God, hear me, we are utterly innocent. That's the paradox of being a Christian. We are utterly guilty, yet we are utterly innocent. Maybe someone here actually needed to hear that today. Maybe you are here and you are overwhelmed with guilt and condemnation because of your sin. Or maybe you are here and you're a believer in Christ, yet you are relying on outfitting yourself with fig leaves as you hide that there's a certain sin in your private life that is literally owning you. Maybe it's your overeating habits. Maybe it's conflict you have in a home and you're, you're irritable after you come home from work when long days. Hey Amen. I got to pray for myself with that sometimes. I'm being honest up here. Right? Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's lust. What, what, whatever it is. Let me remind you that if you're a believer in Christ, you don't have to conceal your sin. You have the freedom in Christ to confess it. You see, God exposes our sin not to condemn us, but to conform us to the image and likeness of his son, Jesus Christ. So let me remind you of Romans 8.1. We just sang about it earlier. There is therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. All of God's wrath, all of God's anger, all of God's punishment for your sin has been taken on, absorbed on the cross by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you don't have to be like Father Adam and Mother Eve, but rather as Pastor Banu reminded us when he came to our church to preach a few months ago, don't hide from God, hide in God. 1 John 1, 9 tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from unrighteousness, from all unrighteousness. Don't conceal it, confess it. You see, the same Jesus who was interceding at the cross for our forgiveness is still interceding for us today at the right hand of God the Father. I pray you would find great hope, great hope in this prayer of ironic intercession of the righteous Son of God on behalf of rootless sinners. Now that we have seen the irony of this prayer and how Christ intercedes for us here in this prayer, it's also important to note that Christ is here modeling for us what it looks like to forgive our enemies or those who wrong us the most. To put it more simply, Christ is not only the way to receive God's forgiveness vertically, he is the one who both exemplifies and empowers the believer to prayerfully extend that same forgiveness horizontally to those who hurt us. Christ is our model for forgiving our ruthless enemies of those who hurt us the most. Our Lord is here practicing what he preached in Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 28, when he taught the disciples to love their enemies and pray for those who would abuse them. Even after all the wrong this evil crowd of ruthless sinners had done to our Lord, he is committed to forgiving them. Now, it's important to note that it was likely extremely difficult for Christ to even utter this 10-word prayer. The position by which he was nailed to the cross would have made it hard for him to breathe, let alone speak a prayer. That should provide you with real hope. It should provide you with great hope for anybody who struggles to forgive people who hurt us because we find it difficult to forgive those who have deeply betrayed us sometimes. But unlike Jesus, we find it to forgive because we are sinful and prone to bitterness and the seeking of revenge. This prayer provides great hope for us in that Christ gives us the formula on how to rise above our feelings of bitterness and hurt and forgive those who have done us the greatest wrong. And the formula, according to this verse, is simple, yet it is painful and costly. We must cry out to the Father 
when we find it hard to forgive those who have hurt us. Let me give you a real life illustration. So I got two daughters, Promise and Serenity, two beautiful girls, and they typically get along pretty well. Um, but on this one particular day, they were having, apparently they were having this conflict and they were trying in their own strength to be able to deal with this conflict, but they, they couldn't work it out. They could not work out forgiveness and reconciliation in the problem. And so one of them had a mind after they realized they had tried everything that they could to grab mommy's cell phone and dial daddy. And so they called me while I'm at work. And I'm at work and I was able to remind them of the gospel. I was able to remind them that they are called as Christians to forgive as they had been forgiven and how God is using their relationship with one another to teach them how to love people who hurt one another, right? Long story short, they had reconciled by the time I got off the phone with them and everything was good in the Bellamy household, at least for a little while. <laughs> at least for a little while. But my point here is that one of my daughters had a mind to dial daddy to help them to forgive when it was difficult to forgive. You see, my point is that this prayer teaches us to look to the Father for grace when it's difficult to forgive. When bitterness starts to sink in when you think about what they've done to you. When you can kind of feel your heart beginning to be hardened at the way that they've harmed you. When a recollection about how they've hurt you comes to mind. Run to the Father. When the tears begin to flow from your eyes and the, from the hurt that they caused you, run to the Father and ask him to help you forgive as you have been forgiven. Brothers and sisters, forgiveness is not an option. It's a commandment. But not only is it a commandment, it's an invitation to partake in the sufferings of Christ as we extend horizontally forgiveness to those who hurt us and light up how we've received it vertically from Christ when we hurt him. A quote from Dr. Carl Ellis helps us here. He says, God never gives us a commandment to obey without the necessary grace to obey it. Hear me here. The grace and power we need to forgive horizontally can only come from looking to the cross. The cross is what gives us the strength to, to, to forgive those who hurt us. As we look to Christ who forgave us such a great debt. If you are here today, and you are harboring resentment, then you are guilty of not loving your enemies as our Lord commands and even practices here in this verse. May the Holy Spirit empower you to take the wrong done to you to the Father in prayer and watch him lay it on King Jesus and free you up to forgive as you have been forgiven. So we have in this perhaps greatest prayer ever prayed, the great irony of the righteous and innocent Son of God taking the place of guilty sinners, the great intercession of Christ our mediator, and Christ as our model for loving our enemies. One righteous God, man, many unrighteous sinners. One ten-word prayer, many sinners forgiven. This prayer is stunningly beautiful. And though short in words, it provides a mountain of hope for great sinners like you and I who struggle to forgive as we have been forgiven. What a God, what a Savior. So all this talk about forgiveness, but the question still remains as to how do we really apply this to our lives? But before we get to that application, I want you to flip over with me in your Bibles to Matthew 18, verses 21 through 33. Matthew 18, verses 21 through 33. When you get there, say amen. amen. If you ain't there yet, say hold on. Some of y'all scared to say, hold on, it's all right. 
It's all right. I know y'all ain't. I see y'all flipping. It's all right. All right. All right, here we go. I'm going I'm to start. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70, 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. One of the biggest obstacles to us extending vertically, I mean uh, horizontally, forgiveness to others um, is that we forget how much God has forgiven us. You see, the servant here in this passage, he receives forgiveness of a huge debt from the king. We see that in verse 27. But then this same servant who, re who received forgiveness for such a huge debt refuses to extend that same forgiveness for an even lesser debt in verse 30. And so the master, after hearing news of this, calls him a wicked servant. He tells him he should have been willing to extend to his fellow servant the forgiveness that he received. The master is here stunned and angered by the servant's unwillingness to extend forgiveness to his fellow servant for a lesser debt, even after he had been forgiven for a greater debt. My concern for us is that I feel like sometimes we are too much like the unforgiven servant and that we plead for forgiveness when we sin, but we refuse to extend that same forgiveness when somebody sins against us. A quote from Christian hip-hop artist The Truth captures this, the, the, this servant's unforgiving response in this parable well. He said, when we sin against others, we love to pl play the role of a lawyer. But when someone sins against us, we love to play the role of a judge. You see, we must understand that Christ in his gospel does more than make a way for us to be recipients of God's grace and forgiveness, brothers and sisters. The gospel also empowers us by his spirit to be transformed into extenders of that same grace to those who hurt us. This language of receiving mercy and extending mercy should be somewhat familiar to you all here at Seven Mile Road Church. I say that because I had the pleasure to look up the inspiration behind the name of Seven Mile Road Church, and I was blown away by this beautiful language under the mission tab on your web website. It reads as this. It says, as those, as those who have received the grace and mercy of God, our call is to extend, there's the word, that grace and mercy to others. Oh, that we would remember what mercy we, had, we have received from God. Oh, that we would remember 
that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses, alienated from the promises of God. Oh, that we would remember the great debt that we owed and the great Savior who came and paid the debt for us, that we would be freed from the penalty from sin and given power over sin and power to forgive even in this life. Oh, that we would remember our own sin and how faithful God was to forgive us in spite of that. And that through that, we'd be transformed to extend that forgiveness and grace to those who hurt us the most. Oh, that we would remember. One of the greatest obstacles to us extending the forgiveness we receive from Christ to others is our tendency to forget that Christ has forgiven us a great debt. Just like the unforgiving servant in this parable, we tend to forget that our sins against God far outweigh any amount of sins committed against us. Yet the father who was the righteous judge chose not to judge us, but instead punished his son in our place at the cross. Simply put, we must remember how much we have been forgiven. If we are ever to, by God's grace and through his spirit, learn to forgive as we have been forgiven. On July 17, 2015, at approximately 8 o'clock p.m., a 21-year-old white male by the name of Dylan Roof walked into the Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and senselessly murdered nine black people in cold blood. Listen now to the words of Nadine Collier at the hearing of Dylan Roof. Nadine is the daughter of Ethel Lance, one of the nine victims. And I quote, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. If God forgives you, I forgive you. Close quote. Do you see the connection between God's forgiveness and her forgiveness? Her response here is that of one who has received forgiveness of a great debt and therefore she can extend forgiveness for a great debt even to the man who brutally murdered her mother while attending a Bible study. Only when we remember how much we have been forgiven can we by God's grace learn to forgive our enemies or those who hurt us the most. Can I just be honest for a second? We're talking about Christ who prays this beautiful prayer of pardon while his enemies are piercing him. It's just miraculous. It's just miraculous. And it's so miraculous to me because, I'll be honest, when I get hurt sometime, I'm, I'm not thinking about a 10-word intercessory prayer for those who are hurting me. I'm thinking more like a four-letter word. <laughs> I, I, I'm not promoting carnality here. I'm just being honest about my own brokenness, right? That's what I'm thinking. But this is why I'm so excited about this verse, because it provides a mountain of hope for us who find it difficult to forgive those who have hurt us the most. And what I love about gospel forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is that gospel forgiveness is not some artificial pretense that harm hasn't been done to us, right? Gospel forgiveness is sacrificial. It's, 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 it's taking into consideration all that has been done wrong to me, but then it's going a step further and saying, I'm taking into consideration all that Christ has forgiven me in light of all of my sin, and therefore I'm willing to extend forgiveness to those who hurt me because it's been extended to me in an immeasurable way through Christ. 
That's what Christ-like forgiveness is. Finally, how do we apply this to our lives? In our text, Christ models for us what it looks like to pray for those who hurt us, brothers and sisters. While on the cross, he is literally interceding for the pardon of those who are piercing him. That said, I've brought with me some triangles. I know a lot of y'all seen them on y'all seat. I promise you it's not a geometry lesson. It's a gospel thing, okay? All right? But I brought with me some triangles. And here's what I want us to do. I want us to literally go about practicing praying for those who hurt us by name as we imitate our Lord who prayed for his persecutors while they were hurting So I want you to take your pencil, right, or your pen, whatever you got, I want you to grab your triangle. You got your triangles? All right? Y'all ready for the geometry lesson? No, I'm just joking. So what I want you to do is I want you to take your pen and pencil and write God's name at the top point of that triangle because, because the reality is that God is the standard. God is our example in Christ on what it means to forgive to forgive sacrificially, not artificially faking like hurt hasn't been done to us. God is our example. So I want you to write God's name at the top. And then I want you to look at the left corner, and I want you to put your name. It might be too small. You can just put initials. Put your initials in the left corner as somebody who's been hurt. And then in the right corner, I want you to save that spot. I want you to put the initials of somebody who's hurt you. I want you to put their name there. I think it's important to put their name there or their initials there. I don't know who that might be for you. Maybe it's a parent from when you were young and you had a rocky relationship and the stench of that broken relationship is beginning to play itself out now in how you father your own or mother your own children. Maybe you want to put that name. Or maybe it's a spouse. There's been some difficulty and some conflict in the home and you've been harboring resentment you guys just haven't talked about it. Maybe you want to put their name there. Or maybe you got a teenage kid and they're growing up and they want more responsibility. They want more freedom now. And you're trying to help them see that more freedom comes with responsibility. And, 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 and there's been some friction in the home and some difficulty and maybe some hardness of heart there. Maybe you want to put that name there. Whoever it is for you, I want you to put that name there. And so what I want us to do is I want us to take the next couple minutes, literally, you can do the silent Allah, however you feel you need to do it. Praying, imitating our Lord Jesus by his grace, through his spirit, praying for those who have hurt us. So you go ahead and you pray, and then I'll close this out in a few minutes. Father, we thank you today. We thank you that your word tells us 
that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we confess that we sometimes harbor resentment toward those who hurt us. We confess that we have not been kind to one another. We have not been tenderhearted, forgiving one another as we have been forgiven in Christ. And we ask for your forgiveness. Father, we pray. I pray for those who have been sinned against today. I pray that you would heal their hearts from hardness of heart, Lord God, and soften it, Lord God, that they may be ready to extend the forgiveness that they've been given to those who have hurt them. Father, I pray for Seven Mile Road Church, Lord God, that they would be a community of faith, that you would give them strength to be a community, Lord God, who's authentic, Lord God, and who's giving themselves, devoting to your word, Lord God, and breaking bread together, Lord God, and praying together, Lord God, and engaging the community together through their life groups, Lord, please. Father, I want to be sensitive to those in the room, Lord God, who are suffering from recent loss. Father, you purchase our forgiveness through suffering. And I pray that those who are suffering because they've lost somebody today, Lord God, I pray that you would help them to be encouraged by knowing that you know what it is to lose somebody. You know what it is to lose somebody, Lord God, and you are with them in their suffering. Would you comfort their hearts this morning? Finally, Lord, I pray for your strength for the seven-mile road leadership that they would run and not grow weary, that they would have gospel endurance, that they would press forward toward the prize of the call that is in Christ Jesus. I pray that you would give them power to accomplish your mission of going ye therefore and making disciples of all nations. Would you strengthen this con congregation for your namesake and your glory as they grow in their ability by your grace and through your spirit to extend horizontally all that they've received vertically in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.